It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome. It is the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Wow, how this week has moved along. I was kidding with somebody earlier today, thinking about uh, tomorrow, of course, being Good Friday, heading into Easter weekend, and it seems like I just took the Christmas tree down a couple of days ago person thought I was serious. <laughs> Though I think it did stay up pretty pretty far into January. Regardless, uh, maybe you're off tomorrow and uh, hope that you're going to have a good uh, three-day uh, Easter weekend. And as we lead off today's program, we've got some good things for you on the burner. Coming up later on tonight, hour number two, our ongoing parenting project series hosted by Vern Tyler from Hosanna Parenting Project will continue tonight with installment number... Number four, is that right, Jarrell? I thought you lost a finger there for a second. Okay, installment number four this evening. And uh, mentioned, by the way, to listeners, it might be, gee, I missed last week. Now I kind of feel out of it. All of the series is available via podcast when you go to kfax.com. Just look for the heavily airbrushed photograph of me taken when I was in high school and uh, click on that, and it'll lead you right to the podcast page. Every Thursday, 6 p.m., that's kind of the key of what you're looking for to find the um, the past shows. We'll eventually, when we get down toward the end of the series, repackage this, and we'll probably pick a couple of days and just say we're going to do two solid hours on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, something of that fashion. So, yeah, I knew you'd be impressed. So uh, we'll keep you posted when we have all that planned. A little bit later on in the first hour tonight, Dr. Ann Galger is going to join us. She is the Director of Science Communications at the University of Washington. There is a new push for so-called human-chimp breeding. I don't even know that I understand that it's even possible to do this. And the motivation, when you hear the reason why this is being pushed by um, a Washington emeritus professor of psychology, David Barash, you'll think to yourself, is this guy nuts? All part of this bigger bioethics question that we struggle with in the arena of everything from cloning to manipulation of DNA, so on and so forth. Um, It's going to be an interesting conversation. We'll get to that coming up a little bit later on in this hour. The Hollywood accusations that have been to the forefront in the last many months, along with the Me Too movement, has, um, if anything, put a bright light of scrutiny on sexual abuse issues not only in Hollywood, but quite frankly in American culture today. When you add to that the abuse of women that takes form in many flavors from childhood abuse to domestic violence, human trafficking, assault, and then oftentimes the coping mechanisms or the challenges that then attend to those experiences, be it a coping mechanism of substance or alcohol abuse just to survive and get through it, or becoming homeless as they are running to escape the abuser. These are very real problems that sadly we don't talk enough about. So we're gonna spend some time doing just that tonight. Joining me today in studio is the Executive Director of Serenity House, Jatan Mills, along with Melissa Hellams, who is Development Director at Serenity House, and uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, Let me start, Jatan, I I don't wanna get caught up in the minutia of statistics, those statistics at a level tell a story, and in this case, a very frightening one. 20 people, on average, every minute, are 
physically abused by an intimate partner, and a good percentage of those 20 people are women. Yes. Why is this topic, even as we've seen kind of pushed to the forefront in the Me Too movement and some of the revelations in Hollywood, why is it that this is not more front of mind when you look at the alarming number of women? Basically, 33% of every woman in the United States has been a victim of abuse of one sort or another in her lifetime. Those are staggering numbers in the millions. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, So why have they not come to the forefront uh, there is so much shame when we think about um, a woman, and it's so it's so intricate. Like when we really break down the details, because women are such heart people. So the reason why women get into relationships in the first place, for the first for the foremost, is because um, there's an emotional connection to that partner, and then um, and then there's this need, there's this longing, there's this drawingness to that partner, and so. Um, and then also we got to go back. A lot of that domestic abuse comes also because they've witnessed it in their families, right? And so um, there haven't been good role models of healthy relationships, um, even healthy partner, uh, par- partnering as well as parenting. And so a child growing up in that environment doesn't have an, a good picture of what it is to be in a healthy relationship. So then they often mirror what they see or what they fantasize, what so, they dream of. So to the person from the outside looking in who says, well, gee, why would a woman subject herself to that or stay in that kind of abusive relationship? But it seems from what you're saying that issues of the family of origin that come into play where maybe this is all they know or right. as odd as it may sound, while it might, be, it might not be safe, it's familiar. It's familiar, and also when they come from, say, an, ab- an abusive background or childhood or they're not witnessing a healthy family growing up, but you see an image of what is portrayed as health from movies, television, even the music we hear on the radio. So now we start fantasizing the books we read. So now we start fantasizing about what healthy relationship possibly is. And so we start wanting that. And so then we end up in these relationships with individuals who seem to promise that to us. But then the relationship becomes, so a woman's coming into it from a very heart, emotional space. But then there's a price Mm. that comes with that. And so then the abuse, be it, we, we hear a lot about like a lot of times stuff comes out from the physical. So like the Me Too movement, right? We're hearing about the sexual abuse that's coming out, the harassment. Um, but it starts so much more earlier than that because it starts with that, this, that the verbal, right? The verbal abuse, the emotional abuse. And then, um, and then we have the cycle of violence where then the person who is um, causing the abuse, they will often do the verbal abuse, the emotional abuse, and then there's always a promise that comes right after that. And there's a, there's a gift of some sort. There's there's presence, there's something that kind of tries to make it okay, and I didn't mean it. And we become caught in this cycle to think, okay, he really does love me, but... They're, they're, they're doing the dance in, in one respect. And, and Melissa, you were shaking your head in agreement as she was speaking. I would imagine that there's this component of uh, two words that kind of unfortunately for women become betrayal words in trust and hope. 
I'm hoping that he will change. I'm trusting when he says it'll never happen again, that it won't. There is the affection, the heart side of things that's caught up in this. Oftentimes, there's also other layers of complexity. There are children that are involved. And so I I, I don't want to tear my kids away from their father just because he can't control his temper. Mm -hmm. He promised me he'll never do it again. That's what I'm hoping for. And I extend my trust. And sadly, though, as we engage in that dance, I would imagine that there are a lot of men that take advantage of that, don't they? Yes. Yes, we see it often at Serenity House. And um, as a former client of Serenity House, I went through it myself. So, and it does, it does become a cycle. It's um, a lot of it is like you invest your heart and you invest the time. For example, in my situation, 13 years in a domestic abuse relationship that started out with verbal abuse and um, an emotional abuse and eventually after years became physical and by that time I was so involved in it and had so much invested in it it was very hard to get out of that. You know use an important word there because some people again from the outside looking in say well why 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 not just pick up a frying pan or just say that's it I'm going back to mother's but you because not only are there oftentimes anchors in there kids uh, maybe you're a full-time stay-at-home mom, so, well, I'm going to go leave and go where and do what, and how am I going to put a roof over my kids' heads, food on the table, and then there is the emotional blackmail that's often involved on the, on the, the side of the abuser, and you're so invested. I mean, it is a relationship. In spite of all of the pitfalls, there's still affection there. There is an investment there, and reaching the point where you can say, as we say in Italian, ya basta, no more. It's a big challenge, isn't it? Yes. Can it be sometimes for a woman in an abusive situation, as as scary as the abuse itself, the notion of saying, okay, that's it, I'm going to pick up and move out and cut ties and do something different? Yeah. So and that's where it gets really complicated because we always um, – just encourage women because of the safety issue, especially when we have this larger conversation that's coming up regarding gun violence and the amount of domestic relationships where guns are a big part of that um, that issue, right? And so it can be, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for a woman just to really be able to just up, pack, and leave. And so we always encourage women to have a plan. What is the plan that they can, it, it versus just jumping right into it, what is the plan that you can create beforehand so that you know, like, okay, this is when I can leave, this is where I'm going to go, this is where my children, if there are children in there, this is where they're going to go. We can have a safety plan so that um, the woman knows, um, because we know, like, we know when, when he's away, we know when he's sleeping the soundest, we know when he comes home drunk and he's not all... We know, and so it's now about just helping them um, through just process of talking with them, learning about their their lives, their stories. When are the best times when you could step away and um, and get the help and get the get the safety? And of course, one of the key reasons why Serenity House exists is to create that environment 
that provides a safe place. And, and I think it bears saying that a lot of people say, well, why not just go home to mother or go over to your sister's house or go hang out at a friend's house until it either blows over, he cools down or whatever. But for the abuser that's caught in this dance, in this cycle, they're going to come and find you out. Yeah. So there's no safety in that. So you literally need to come to the point of making some very difficult decisions that says, I am too valuable as a person, yeah. as a human being, as an individual created in God's image to continue to expose myself to this kind of abuse or to continue to allow my children to be exposed to it. And so I need to take some big steps. And those steps are, as you're suggesting, I think, a a process. Mm -hmm. Because in breaking those ties and in starting fresh, there's an awful lot of behavior and habits that have to be unlearned. I would imagine, too, a lot of viewpoints of self that need to be relearned. I mean, if you've been in an abusive situation, maybe as a child, and then that carried on to a marriage or multiple relationships, and you've just been convinced for the last 30 or 40 whatever years that you're useless, you're stupid, you're ignorant, you're helpless, you're name the negative adjective, it fits you. To unlearn all of that and relearn positive viewpoints and empowering viewpoints that can allow you to break free of the abuse and get life set on track, maybe for the first time ever, it's a big process. And, and, and ingrained in that process is so much of what is offered at Serenity House. We're going to take a brief time out and tell you more about the program. And also, if, if you're burdened by this, and I, I don't know who wouldn't be to hear the stories, and we're seeing more and more, as I said before, coming out of the news and beginning to understand, as Jaton Mills and Melissa Helms shares with us today, um, of the need and the opportunity and, uh, quite frankly, the growing need that we're seeing for organizations like Serenity House and what you can be doing to stand with this organization to make sure that a beacon of hope, that this little island of relief is there for women at the critical time when they so desperately need it. Because at the end of the day, it's not just happy and healthy lives that are at stake here, but literally life, very life itself, that oftentimes is at stake. Information available on the web, by the way, at Serenity House. 680.org. That's Serenity House 680, like the freeway, Serenity House 680.org, based right here in the Bay Area in Oakland. We'll tell you more coming up right after we tell you more about traffic, or let's start with getting a look at traffic. See what's going on out there. Michael Bennett, give us the latest, sir. What's happening on this Thursday? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The numbers are troubling ones. 33% of American women, think about that, one in three women in America today is a victim or will become a victim of abuse and domestic violence sometime in her lifetime. And the sweet spot of much of that abuse seems to be in that um, age demographic of 18 to 24 at a time when they haven't developed a lot of life skills, they don't have marketable skills. So for the uninitiated to say, well, just run out, move out of that situation, go find yourself a job, go live somewhere else, get a house, bring the kids with you, everything will work out fine. Yeah, that looks good on paper, but in reality, it's far more difficult. And at the end of the day, uh, Jaton Mills, that's really where Serenity House plays such a critical role for these women. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I wanted to speak to the part that you mentioned right before break regarding the value. So women in these situations who... Um, 
recognize their value in helping them to remove themselves out of these dangerous conditions. And a lot of times, they don't recognize their value until somebody actually, a friend, a neighbor, a close person in their life, um, actually starts speaking to them, talking to them, telling them, wait a minute, like, this isn't healthy. This isn't the way to live. There's better for you. Um, We can get you help. And a lot of times it takes help from family members to be able to bring that light, to be able to start talking with that person. Because also a lot of times the abuser, they will also um, isolate the woman being abused. And so they will create a way to keep them away from their family and away from their friends. And And, and there are layers, I would imagine, here of denial. There's the fear factor. Well, where do I go? What do I do? How do I survive? What about the kids? There's that that heart component, the trust component that we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, which which means in a sense you almost from a family and friend standpoint almost need to plan this like an intervention. Mm-hmm. And by Definitely. that I mean that it, that it takes time Definitely. when you know that a, that a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, somebody that you go to church with, maybe somebody that you work with are coming to you with some obvious signs. You know, I mean, how many times can you say, oh, yeah, I hit my eye on the, the cabinet door in the in the kitchen right. before you finally begin to realize, no, there's something else going on here? Right. And unfortunately, like um, in a situation within the program where we have women who sometimes it happens through their children, where their children are the wake up call in the sense of it's an unfortunate one, but the child is at school and the teacher notices something and starts becoming inquisitive. And then through that whole process, um, through CPS getting involved, the courts getting involved, sometimes that's how the woman ends up getting out of that situation is through recognizing her child is in danger, her children are in danger. So Serenity House is a nine-month live-in program. Yes. And you really take it from soups to nuts, don't you, in terms of dealing with all aspects, the spiritual dynamic, the physical dynamic, and and the mental health dynamic, that, yes. that sense of the self-worth that so mm-hmm. oftentimes needs to be rebuilt, if not oh, established yeah. for the very first time. Yes. Tell us a bit about ways in which people can get involved in supporting the organization. Uh, I would imagine, obviously, these women are coming and saying, you know, I, I come with the clothes on my back and that's it. So community support to make sure that you can keep the doors open, keep the program going. I would suspect that you probably turn away an alarming number of women just because there's not enough space and not enough resources. Right. So we are a nine-month program, as you already mentioned. We um, And oftentimes, depending on the woman and her circumstances and her healing process, because we cannot just bottle it up and say it's nine months, and so we will work with the woman as we are see, as she is showing recovery and she's showing restoration and healing. We will work with her until we feel she's at a space to be able to um, transition. So it's not like hit nine months and out the door Correct. you go. You Correct. really base it on their unique needs. And obviously yes. every situation is different. The challenges that every woman is trying to get past and get beyond is going to be different too. Yes, most definitely. Talk to me about your needs in terms of resources. Um, well, we, we do a lot of work on a, a small budget, um, but we, we are seeing a, an increased demand all the time. And um, 
we we rely upon the generosity of donors, of people who send in donations. Um, we do some fundraising events, um, and uh, I'm the grant writer, so I'm applying for grants all the time. But we really are in need of donations um, to pay our rent. And also where the women live, we have them living in a safe house, um, and so we have rent and bills for them to live in that house. And also we provide everything for them from their clothing, um, um, medications. We actually enroll them into uh, Medi-Cal if they don't have insurance. Um, but during that time, while we're waiting for them to get insurance, we take care of any expenses that might come along that way. Everything from, you know, buying. Um, trying to think. Um, Clothing, food, food, whatever it might be, um, medication if they, right. you know, if they need some life critical right. medication. Toiletries. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, frequently they just come in with nothing. We, we they often come to us directly from the courts. They've been in jail because they were in some kind of domestic violence situation, and um, tried to fight back, and they end up in jail. So yeah, we we provide them with everything. So in terms of being a community resource, then, it really is incumbent upon the community to stand with you. And as a fully recognized 501c3, so that means all donations are fully tax deductible. Yes. And I would imagine, especially this time of year, a lot of folks already know how much they're going to pay to the IRS or already know how much the IRS is going to pay to them, that it's a good time if you're looking to take some of that um, refund and invest back in the community. And, you know, we see so much of these stories as we began talking uh, a half hour ago about of women and the violence that's happening. It's so many layers within society today, and it's not unusual for people to say, we know somebody ought to do something about that. Hollywood needs to do something about that. The government needs, well, there may be degrees to which that is true, but at the end of the day, you and I really need to do something about that. And what can we do? We can make ourselves available to pray. We can provide the necessary economic resources to not only keep programs like Serenity House open, but to also help them expand as the need continues to grow. And then, too, I would imagine through in-kind donations and volunteerism, uh, there's a great opportunity, too, isn't there? Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, We definitely can always use, be it from toiletries to... um, just any kind of volunteering support that you would like to offer us, we are definitely open. Um, really, you know, we also just, if you have a story that you just want to share with the women or you just want to hear their story, because what I've learned and gained from this is that healing is, it's, it's cyclical. It's, it's a circle, and you'd be surprised at the healing that you receive from hearing their story. And you partner with other organizations. So, again, this yes. is really through the entire process that once a woman has gone through, completed the program, and is now ready to go back out into the world mm-hmm. on her own, there's going to be need maybe for furniture as she's moving into a new home or for clothing, clothing for children, food, personal items, all of these things. And yes. so if somebody is in a position to do an in-kind donation, yes. they can do that. Obviously, the financial resources makes it a lot easier for you from a management standpoint um, because if you're short on something and the resources are there, you can go down and obtain that so it kind of completes the circle. Folks want to get more information about donating to Serenity House, they can go to the website. Is that that correct? That's correct. So um, serenityhouse680.org. That's serenityhouse680.org. If somebody listening, uh, I would imagine maybe some pastors listening that would say, gee, this could be an opportunity for our church to kind of adopt 
and provide some resources as part of our local uh, ministry budget, as well as maybe having some of our church folks that could come and volunteer, teach classes, whatever might be needed. If, if they want to make an appointment to come down and take a tour of the facility, is that possible? Most definitely. We definitely will welcome you. And if they say, we want you to come to church on Sunday, and we'll give you 10 minutes in the pulpit to tell us more about that. Do you have a speaker's bureau or folks available to do yes, that? Yes, we are very ready for that. All right, definitely. fantastic. So whether you want to come to the table as a volunteer, provide in-kind donations, um, want to have a speaker come and share more of the Serenity House story at your church or business organization, um, or simply have been moved by what you heard today and want to help stand with the organization financially, you can do so by going to Serenity House 680, like the freeway, serenityhouse680.org. That's serenityhouse680.org. Find out more about the program, the work, hear a lot of the stories, as well as you can also safely and easily give your fully tax-deductible gift online, serenityhouse680.org. I'll mention finally, if you've been eavesdropping on this conversation today, and a woman that you know has been described in the course of our conversation. Maybe the woman that has been described is you. You've not known where to turn or what to do. Please know that there is help. There is a safe place that can take you in, embrace you, and help you be the person that God intended you to be. If you're in that circumstance or know a woman who is who needs help, you can call Serenity House directly at area code 510 Eight nine one zero four six four. That's five ten eight nine one zero four six four. Now I realize you might be living in an area that's outside of the East Bay. You say, "Gee, I'm out in Cupertino or on the peninsula." You can provide referral services, can you not, to an organization that provides similar services in an area close to them? Yes, we can. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank uh, Jaton Mills, the Executive Director of Serenity House, along with Melissa Hellams, the Development Director with Serenity House. Thank you both for coming in and sharing the story. Thank you so much for having us. You bet. Again, information available online at serenityhouse680.org. All right, 532. We're late. Let's get caught up on some traffic here. The latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, there's been a lot of talk here, probably really since the the emergence of DNA and our better increased scientific understanding of what DNA is. And of course, that's led us to all of this other research related to things like cloning. All of these seem to sort of open up the layers of the onion related to questions to the heart of bioethics. And just because we can, should we? Well, if you thought cloning was a little bit crazy, or genetic modification was because you wanted to have a child guaranteed would be, you know, tall enough to play on the basketball team or smart enough to be the next uh, Einstein. Uh, if you find that a little bit disturbing and unsettling, why do you hear this? There is an emeritus professor of psychology, David Barash, who wrote a pretty disturbing article recently in Nautilus magazine that essentially argues for, <laughs> ready for this? Are you sitting down? No sharp objects near you? Um, ready for chimp human chimeras? I don't like where this is going either. Um, and, and while it may be questionable as to even scientifically this could be done, just the fact that somebody would advocate for it 
is very disturbing. Joining me now is the Director of Science Communications at the University of Washington. She also serves with the Center for Science and Culture as a senior researcher there. And we are pleased to have Dr. Ann Gager join us. And uh, Dr. Gager, thank you for taking time to be with us today. So this, this is essentially suggesting that we should engage in inbreeding between humans and chimps. What? Yeah, there's actually two ways they're proposing to go about it. One is to have a chimp-human mating, um, making a hybrid, like when you cross a horse with a a donkey and you get a mule. Um, That that has not worked, although people have really tried. Um, The second thing is to take cells from a human and transplant them into a chimp embryo and let the embryo develop into a chimp-human chimera, as you said. A chimera is a, it's a combination of two creatures, like, for example, Mr. Tumnus in The Lion, which in the wardrobe, half goat, half human. Uh, Greek mythology is full of chimeras, but we're talking about a, a creature that has Mixed, um, mixed characteristics, not not separate, like in Mr. Thomas. And unfortunately, uh, somebody wants to really do it, Dr. Barash. Well, this might make sense for uh, mythology or for science fiction, uh, creating a monster that uh, is kind of this mixture. We've seen uh, representations in some movies where it's a, a horse body and a human torso and a head with a, with, a, with a unicorn in the top of the forehead. Okay, great. Mythology, probably nothing, uh, no harm, no foul there. But this is being talked about, at least from the perspective of uh, David Barash, Seriously, and I guess the big question is, and the point of all of this would be what? Well, for him, uh, the point is to demonstrate to Christians in particular that there is no such thing as human exceptionalism, that we are not made in the image of God, and that we are just animals like a chimp. So essentially there's a guy here who's an atheist who hates God or the image of God or, or questions the existence of, and I've always wondered why the atheists work so hard to disprove God's existence. I, I, don't, I don't believe in, in uh, the, the um, tooth fairy either, but I don't invest a lot of time in convincing people that the tooth fairy doesn't exist because there's no point in that. And so th- this, this seems to be crazy at, at, at multiple levels. But I have to wonder, just for the moment of, of entertaining this and, and hearkening to my comments about, okay, we, we know that certain forms of cloning have been tried with various degrees of results. We know that there have been experiments and certainly research into areas of um, human genome projects that relate to, you know, manipulation of DNA. Can we basically, you know, as we've talked about building a better mousetrap, can we build a better human being that is less susceptible to disease or, or be able to to sort of build in certain um, uh, genetic behaviors or traits that we feel to be uh, superior or desirable, which I even, even as I say that, I'm I'm right there with the science of eugenics, Margaret Sanger and Adolf Hitler, very troubling, very disturbing. But I have to wonder, at the end of the day, is any of this even possible, Dr. Gager, from your medical viewpoint? Well, 
Okay, um, here's the scary thing. People have already made chimeras between human cells and pigs. Um, the, the reason they're doing this is that they think they can insert human cells into uh, a pig embryo and target them to produce a particular organ that can then be grown and harvested for transplant. We've heard this done with, like, noses, for example, or an ear. Uh, yeah, nose, ear, liver, heart, perhaps, um, uh, kidney, something that's really hard to find. Um, they did this with uh, a pig embryo, implanted it into a sow, and let it go for a few weeks and then got ethical cold feet and stopped the experiment. Now, I think that was wise, even though they targeted themselves to produce a particular organ, there's no guarantee that that's where they'll end up. And so the nightmare thought is that you'd end up with a brain that was part human, part pig. And so they stopped it. And there was a moratorium put in place by NIH on funding such research. Unfortunately, I think a year or two ago, they rescinded that moratorium. And they're permitting experimentation to go forward. Wow. Okay, here's where we need the president to exercise his, um, his powers and write an executive order. I mean, it just that's, mm-hmm. that's disturbing at so many levels in so many ways. I mean, you know, uh, that we have the desire or even at, at the sort of primary base level capacity to do this is one thing. Is nobody stopping to say that we can is one deal, but that we should is the question that we're not. Where's, where's the, where is the big debate on the bioethics question of this, Dr. Gager? Well, um, you remember back in the 90s, they cloned Dolly the sheep? Yes. And um, that raised up a, a debate about the morality of cloning, and it went before um, a panel of bioethics experts, I believe uh, Clinton and G.W. Bush both called such panels, they recommended that it be prohibited. It went before Congress and died. So there is no federal legislation prohibiting cloning, just as there is no federal legislation prohibiting chimera research. Um, it's a, it's a, big, a big ethical problem, and um, it's, unfortunately, it's fallen off the radar screen of most people. They don't think about it anymore. And interesting, and so we hear more talk these days about AI and robotics, and, and there have been warnings by people like Elon Musk about the danger of robotics getting out of hand. Uh, and here we're talking about outright machines, that at the end of the day, if you move fast enough, take a bat to, and you could destroy and stop, uh, presumptively. But here it just gets into a whole weird issue and while you think that we're reading this from a, you know, a pulp fiction novel written by some nutcase like L. Ron Hubbard, the reality is some nutcases really believe in this stuff, uh, such as this former emeritus professor of psychology, David Barash. Interesting to note that he comes from psychology. He probably needs one. Uh, and that the intention here is not necessarily because they think there's going to be scientific benefits, but he's trying to prove a point uh, that mankind is just an animal, I've often argued for those that wish to believe in evolution at its, at it, in all of its forms and, and want to say that you came from monkeys, you know what? 
I'll, I'll, okay, I'll grant you. For the sake of discussion and argument, I'll grant you that. People that tend to believe that, I will agree. Yeah, you, you probably did come from apes because <laughs> nothing of what you're saying seems to be coming from the more intelligent end of the species. That's the part that's the species that created in very God's image. We're going to take a time out. We're visiting today with Dr. Ann Gager, Director of Science Communications at the University of Washington and struggling through some of the bioethical questions of a proposal and not being done, but it's being proposed that it be done, that there be chimp human chimeras. What? George Well Orwell on hyper mode here. Let's take a time out back with more. And even George Orwell is not in a good a Planet of the Apes, I'm not quite sure what to call this, uh, other than sick. Let's get a look at traffic right now. Michael Bennett. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Uh, what we ought to do and what we ought to do in two entirely different issues. We're visiting today with Dr. Ann Gager, Director of Science Communications with the University of Washington. And, I, and I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Gager, for going a little bit off the rails there at the end of the last segment. But there, there's, there's a dynamic of this that is so crazy, so over the top, so ludicrous that you have to wonder what even possesses people to think about things like this, let alone go out publicly and suggest all of it. Here, I guess, is the, the elephant in the room, and that is that for thinking people that, that do think that we need to ask ourselves uh, that we can, ought we to, and the implications of all of that for so many reasons, uh, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this information to say to those that are in the position to do something about it that something needs to be done about this? Well, at the, the core of the problem is this idea that we are nothing but animals. And unfortunately, a large proportion of our population buys into that idea because they think we're descended from apes. And they think that we have the capacity for violence and rape, et cetera, because that's what animals do, and we're just animals. And because of that, we don't value human life. We don't value taking care of the unborn or the elderly. Um, we don't value um, the, the first life that these scientists are experimenting on, the ones that the, the embryos that they're using for cloning or for chimeras. If, if we truly understood who we were, made in the image of God, then we wouldn't do these things. And so the first thing is to do what we can to communicate who we are, what our value is to the wider culture. The second thing is to advocate in the public sphere, make people aware of all of these issues that so damage um, the society. Uh, make people aware and then go to your public officials and try and get legislation on the books. Um, it's with teeth. With, with, with consequences that will make scientists stop and think about violating them. We certainly don't want research dollars coming from the public sector going into anything like this. There's also the component that I could see individuals that are suffering from uh, right now incurable illnesses, whether it's uh, the Parkinson's patient, the patient that has Lou Gehrig's disease, whatever, cancer victims who say, you're, you're putting time into this, really? You're putting resources into this as opposed to dealing with, with, with real life and death issues that are facing human beings? 
Um, secondarily, the notion, as you've eloquently touched upon, Dr. Gager, that we lack a, an appropriate biblical or Christian worldview that suggests to the broader picture that life is valuable, that life is something that is precious, that is something to be protected. And I guess at the end of the day, a society that will kill off its unborn for convenience sake or sex selection or just because we didn't plan this and and do so without batting an eye is probably the same society that will eventually say to the elderly, you know, you really can't contribute anymore. You're, you're not working. You don't produce any products. You don't provide any resources back into the community through taxes. You're just kind of a burden. So maybe it's time for you to step aside, just kind of get out of the way. It begun begins... And then it's the old snowball, right? Quickly down the hill it rolls and it picks up more speed and more momentum. Before you know it, we're moving from um, things like the science of eugenics and Nazism and what was promoted by Margaret Sanger in the teens and 1920s and 30s through Nazi Germany's take on this to then abortion on demand in America in the 1970s to now we're progressing. We've already made um, physician-assisted suicide legal in California. What next? Dr. Gager's probably given you a glimpse of what's next. And, uh, Doctor, I want to thank you for your time today and remind listeners, yes, boning up on how to articulate that Christian worldview that honors at all levels life, understanding how precious it is, understanding that we need to address biological, uh, bioethic questions with bioethic answers that are rooted in some plane of morality And that, thirdly, um, and equally as important, that those that are in a position to prohibit this kind of dangerous, menacing, potentially explosive behavior or research, we need to say, you know what, there are places where you got to draw the line and don't draw it in the sand because the sand, the wind can move the sand. That needs to be a line drawn in the concrete that says... You will go no further. Wow. Dr. Ann Gager, Director of Science Communications at the University of Washington, thank you so much for your time. Information available, by the way, on this topic at discovery.org. Okay. As much as that has just sort of popped my fuse for the afternoon, let's, um, let's regroup here, shall we? I am mindful of the fact that Good Friday is... Uh, just a day away, and that today, actually, this Thursday, today is Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then, of course, heading into the glorious celebration of Easter coming up on Sunday. Well, as you know, this week, Easter week, is indeed one of the most holiest times on the Christian calendar, certainly on a par with Christmas, as services take place all across the globe related to Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and of course, the most important day, Resurrection Sunday. To tell us a bit about one church here in the Bay Area that's holding a couple of special services, we're joined by Pastor John Jester, Senior Pastor at Watsonville Christian Church. And Pastor John, great to have you. Let's talk a bit about what is going to be going on at your church this week. You'd mentioned to me that you're going to be having a very special Monday, Thursday service. Tell us a bit about what all that is about for folks that perhaps are not familiar with it. 
Okay, the Monday Thursday service. Uh, the word Monday is a Latin word meaning mandate, and when I've read, they get that from Jesus' command in John thirteen thirty four, saying, "I give you a new command: love one another." So that's where we get the word Monday from on Monday Thursday. And at our church, we will be opening the doors at five forty five. And the service will begin at 7. If people want to come in early, they can do that. We'll have some coffee, some tea for them. And uh, then at 7 p.m., we will have the service. Uh, we'll have some beautiful music. We'll have some prayers. And also, we have the foot washing service. We read about uh, in John 13, 1 through 17. Uh, we do that each year. We have the lady partitioned on one section and the men partitioned on another section. Uh, we'll go through scriptures from the Old Testament in uh, Isaiah 52 and 53, and then we'll have beautiful readings from uh, John 14, 15, 16, and 17 by four of our different people. And, of course, we'll have the communion service, because on that Passover, when Jesus kept it, that, of course, we know he instituted the symbols of the bread and what he called the fruit of the vine. So we're going to have that. Afterwards, we're going to have snacks and fellowship. So it's going to be very beautiful, wonderful, uh, very inspiring uh, service for everyone. And that, again, will be taking place this Thursday, uh, prayer service at 6.40 p.m., just in advance of the evening service that starts at 7 p.m. at Watsonville Women's Club there in Watsonville. That's located at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville. And you can get more information online by going to Watsonville Community Church's website at watcc.org. That's watcc.org. Sounds, uh, Pastor Jester, like in addition to the focus on certainly uh, the passion of Christ leading into Good Friday, there's a lot of community building that's going to be taking place during the Monday Thursday service. Yes, very much so, very much so. We have it in the evening, because many times some people maybe can't attend during a daytime service, uh, but we have it in the evening service, and we really look forward to having it, because it's really unique. It's our one-time service of the year. We have it in the evening, and go through the whole Scriptures, Old and New Testament, and we do the foot washing, and we think of Jesus having washed the apostles' feet, which would be 24 feet that he washed. Now, we don't wash that many. We wash each other's feet. Uh, but it is a very special, very inspiring, very encouraging, and very uplifting evening for all of us. And again, that'll be this coming Thursday. Service time begins at 7 p.m. Sunday, of course, uh, is the real highlight on the Christian calendar as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his victory over death and the graves. Tell us about your Sunday morning Easter service. Okay, on that day, on Sunday, um, another special day, we'll have the hall open by 9 a.m. Services will start at 10 Again, we'll have beautiful music. We also, every service, we have a thanks and prayer time where we send the microphone up and down the rows. Anybody needing prayer, we'll offer a prayer for them. And then we have, again, uh, the services. We'll go, be going this year. We're going through part of Matthew 27 expositionally, 27 and 28. And then we're going to have a couple little short videos at the end, one called The Names of Jesus, and the other one, That's My King, a very rousing uh, little segment. After that, we're going to have an annual breakfast-type potluck, which is going to be after this church service. So we have another good time of fellowship and a great time gathering together as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. So if you happen to be in the Watsonville area, and perhaps you live down there and are new to the region looking for a new church home or a special place to celebrate Easter services your opportunity, your invitation to join Watsonville Christian Church this Sunday. And again, we'll mention the service times. Um, you'll open at 9 a.m. And then what time is the official start time for the service? 10 a.m. 
10 a.m. All right, so doors open at 9, 10 a.m., the beginning of the Easter Sunday service. Again, that's at Watsonville Christian Community Church, located in Watsonville at 12 Brennan Street in downtown Watsonville. If folks there are familiar with uh, downtown, that's inside the Watsonville Women's Club building. Again, at 12 Brennan Street in Watsonville. Doors open 9 a.m. and Easter Sunday service at 10 a.m. More information by calling 831 781-784-1429. That's 831-784-1429. Or you can easily go online to Watsonville Christian Church at watcc.org. That's watcc.org. Well, Pastor John Jester, we appreciate the update and uh, the invitation to our listeners to join you and your congregation to uh, celebrate this Easter Sunday service, and of course, a great way to lead into uh, uh, the Passion on Friday with the Monday Thursday service. Again, that'll be Thursday at 7 p.m. Pastor John Jester, thanks for the time.